Howdy, and welcome to the Feed Bandit Podcast, where we talk all things hunting and introduce you to innovative hunting products and services. If you want to level up your hunting game and gear, be sure to join the hunt. To join the hunt, text the word BANDIT to 345-345, and when you do, you'll join our email list, where we'll send killer deals on innovative hunting products and services, along with entertaining tips and tricks straight to your inbox. Again, text the word BANDIT to 345-345, and we look forward to seeing you on the hunt. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to the Feed Bandit Podcast. Uh, Jimmy here, and as always, I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Richard. How are you doing tonight, sir? Yes, sir. Doing just fine. Now, now, hey, you realize what you just said, don't you? What you I, just what you I, just you just said how are you doing tonight uh, and, oh yeah what uh, if someone's uh, listening uh, to this at uh, seven in the morning uh, driving to work that's right that's <laughs> right totally got you now i'm doing really well um so i i have i have been told one of our good buddies sent a little text message to us a couple of days ago saying that we have reached in the state of texas we have reached kind of the the hot the the what is it the the last like super super hot day so from from saturday forward apparently it starts to cool down of course that's going to remind us of dove season and and uh, and whitetail season the mule deer season all that kind of good stuff so uh, i'm excited that there is relief within the eyesight of, or within the earshot i believe oh uh, that's that is uh, music to my ears mm-hmm. no <laughs> especially today what i think it was 102 something something around that, that was anyway. awesome. but the, by the time people hear this we'll already be a you know, well into that downturn, so downtrend and and temperatures. It'll probably only be ninety seven then, or whatever. <laughs> That's right. I'll take it, man. I'll take it. Right, right. All right. On the podcast tonight, we have Charlie Stockstill. He's the regional director for the Mule Deer Foundation. Hey, Charlie, welcome to the Feed Bandit Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to learn uh learn all about mule deer tonight. We have a we have some good questions for you, I hope. So, <laughs> uh, hopefully, I come up with a, at least a possible good answer. All right. <laughs> well, yeah. can you tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, how you got in, uh, involved in the Mule Deer Foundation and kind of what you do as a regional director for them? Well, um, I come from a long line of outdoor education related activities, um, and a few years ago, when I decided to uh, come back into this line of work I wanted to help an animal that needed the help and after looking around I narrowed it down to either quail or mule deer I think we're in pretty good shape when it comes to everything else and there were a lot of people working on everything else so I wanted my efforts to count towards something that needed it I actually got the uh, quail forever and the mule deer foundation and a little bit more lasted a couple of days and not sure who won, who lost, but now I work for the Mule Deer Foundation. <laughs> and I've been very happy. It's a good group of people, and uh, they're doing a lot of the right things all across the West. Great, great. So explain to uh, the listeners, if they're not really familiar uh, with Mule Deer and, and you know what's going on with them, what, you mentioned that uh, you wanted to help an animal that needed help. Why? uh so what's going on with the mule deer, and, and why do they need? Why do they need help? Well, they need help because of me and you. Um, okay. Mule deer's claim to fame is they are the only big game animal on the decline in the United States. Are you wait really? Over, 
Absolutely. A lot of people don't know that, but that's why I'm on this podcast. That is they unbelievable. Are, I, I had no idea. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I'm uh, I'm flabbergasted. This is, this is only the first minute of the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, I'm sorry they're on the decline. They're, they're a really neat animal, but they're not very adaptive. And whenever I say it's because of me and you, um, we drive automobiles that require gasoline, that require roads. We like eating beef that requires fences. Um, we live and have a lot of activities um, in their limited habitat. Um, then whenever you get up in New Mexico and Colorado on the mountain part, uh, they're restricted. All uh, mountain-type animals are restricted by the amount of available winter habitat. Right. And we have seen an explosion in the last 15, 20 years of elk. Right. Well, elk and mule deer share the same winter habitat, and an acre of hay is only going to feed so many pounds of wild animal, and elk being bigger, mule deer kind of take the back seat. Hmm. That that is that, that is absolutely in the bad way. Fascinating. I I had no idea. I I, I did. You know, I, I, I just assumed when you said that they're on the decline that it had to deal with, with habitat fragmentation and, you know, and, and, and loss and whatnot. But so really, so Charlie, what, what you're really saying, uh, you know, another way is, you know, for example, the white-tailed deer seem to be very adaptive where they can survive in Austin, Texas. Um, and, you know, the, but, but the mule deer really can't don't really seem to be able to do that, you know, as far as adapting to their, to a, an altered environment like that. No, they need it the way God made it, the way they evolved in that habitat. Sure. Now, there, there is a piece of good news for all us people that already live in Texas. We're used to good news. There you go. <laughs> uh, the Panhandle region of Texas is the only place in North America where the herd is expanding. Oh. Fantastic. We spent Oh, several hundred thousand dollars a few years ago to find out what was causing that. Right. In hopes that we could replicate that across the rest of the country. What's causing it is the folks in the panhandle, if you ever flew over the panhandle and looked out of the airplane and saw those crop circles down, down there? Yes, sir. Okay. That's alfalfa, that's cotton, that's winter mm. wheat. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff for them to eat out there. Right. Uh, that's obviously water, or you wouldn't have the plants. And then you've got large landowners who are real careful in the amount of animals that they allow to be harvested on their private property. Right. Fascinating. Well, you know, we, Charlie, we both, Jimmy and I, went to Texas Tech. So um, myself, I spent a lot of time uh, out there dove hunting and duck hunting and whatnot, and, and, and quite literally some of my most cherished memories uh, are are out there on the Cap Rock, uh, in particular near near Crosbington, Texas, out there dove hunting in the evening, watching the mule deer come up from the Cap, or uh, yeah, come up from the Cap Rock to eat in those those wheat fields. Uh, just just so cool, you know, growing up uh, hunting nothing but white-tailed deer. So uh, that is that is really cool. So I I mean I I am thrilled to hear they're doing so well in the Panhandle. Now what what about the what about the Transpecus? What's what's going on with them? Are they steady, or, well, or what's the news? 
we're back to the fragmentation thing. Everybody's quite aware of the oil boom that's going on, has gone on for a long time in the Permian. Right. So you've got roads crisscrossed, you know, all through there. Right. Um, big water trucks driving way too fast, mule deer standing in the way in the middle of the night like they do. Right. Uh, what we do as the Mule Deer Foundation um, is put, I would say, 90 cents out of every dollar we raise goes into some form of water project in the Trans-Pacific. Right. Water being the limiting factor. Uh, we put these guzzlers and build wells and do all kinds of things out there, both on public and private property. Right. Um, so, and the blessing there is everything out there needs to drink. I can't sure. tell you how many times I've been out there and we just get the first bit of water in it to make sure the plumbing is working. And here comes a yellow jacket, you know, and he's <laughs> dipping on the water. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that so I, I have I have I have long followed uh, the efforts out there in the uh, the Trans Pecos, you know, the Elephant Mountain Range and whatnot for the for the for the Texas Bighorns, and I've always had a kind of a you know a, talking about you know a competitor to the the Texas Bighorn and the um, the, the Desert Mule Deer would be the Audad. Uh, what 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 are your thoughts about the the Audad as far as being a competitor for you know towards the Mule Deer and the the Desert Bighorn? Well, uh, I was talking to a biologist many years ago in my uh, career. And he basically, and we were talking about turkeys, and he said if that turkey finds everything it needs uh, in, you know, a couple square miles, uh, it will survive. And if it doesn't, it will die. Right. So I think you can use that same simplistic reason. Um, if what how dead need out there, um, you know, obviously they're doing you know, spectacular. Um, if what they need, they can find, they they survive. Our bed is doing great. Bighorn sheep, uh, we've done a, a fantastic job, or we, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife and the Sheep Foundation people, done a great job as far as reintroducing those and right. uh, you know, putting water in all that right place. As a matter of fact, what got us started a few years back on putting guzzlers out there was uh, Texas uh, sheep people, Texas Bighorn Society, Right. Said that they had built a lot of guzzlers for sheep and put game cams on them. The first thing they see is a mule deer. Mule deer, right. Okay, so let's put our money together and do that a whole bunch more. Excellent. But to answer your question as far as competition, is there a competition? I'm sure there is. I am not a biologist. I mm-hmm. am a fundraising guy. Right. And in that, uh, we have raised funds for a gentleman that's got a big ranch. Oh, 20 miles south of Van Horn. Okay. We have collared Aldad, we have collared Bighorn, and we have collared Mule Deer, and we will track their interactions on that ranch for the next two years. Okay. No then we can answer your question with education <laughs> and authority as opposed to, well, it's probably not a good thing, but who really knows? Sure, sure. Well, you know, hats off to the ranch owner there for opening up his uh his or her property to the you know for the betterment of the the animals in Texas that is that is fantastic and that's a I would I can't wait to see the results of that study that that is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it'd be really neat to see those like on on the website or something if you're patterning them patterning them and you know seeing 
you know, how they yeah, interact they, and everything, kind of the whole conclusion of it, you know. For well, sure. we've got a couple of clips out that uh, we can pick up from the Mule Deer Foundation that the ranch has already finished. Okay. Uh, but that was the start of the study where we were putting 40 collars on those three species, 40 each, you know, with the helicopters and weighing them and blood samples and, you know, the whole bit. Right. Excellent. Very, very cool. Charlie, what's what's your opinion of the, the MLDP, you know, managed land deer? And for those of you who don't know, uh, who aren't familiar with the MLDP, it stands for managed land deer permits. And basically what it is is that these the, these are special permits issued through Texas Parks and Wildlife, um, and, and the number of permits you get is dictated by your range conditions, uh, your harvest level, you know, basically where you are, things of that nature. What, what's your opinion of, of that in an area like the Trans-Pecos where, you know, things are a little, you know, a little rocky, you know, per se, as far as the population? Well, think, like all programs, it comes down to the person that's administering it. And then you have to look at the rancher that owns the property that entered into it. Right. Uh, I've heard a lot of negative comments uh, from mule deer that, holy cow, you can start shooting them into September and hunt them till the end of February. Right. Well, that might be true, but that rancher does not want to kill off all of anything that he's got. Of course. Uh, he wants, you know, he's going to get more money for larger animals. Right. Um, and be able to pick and choose when a certain animal ought to uh, be harvested. Right. Uh, I think um, hats off Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, they are some of our best friends. Um, right. The flip Excellent. side is, um, is there a rancher out there that would shoot every mule deer on his place from the end of September to the end of February? Maybe, but I don't know who he is. And I don't think from a business point of view, that would make a lick of sense. Sure, sure. Well, and you got to hope that, you know, majority of the the, the big ranchers out there are hopefully real, you know, ethical Texans and and, and realize what they got and and how how much of a, how how big of a treasure that is. Um, Everyone I have met is people you wish were already part of your family. I believe it. (laughs) I believe it. The one drawback I've heard with the MLD program, and this comes back from the biologist, even though um, there are, you know, they have to, you know, shoot a certain number of does in order to, you know, stay qualified to maintain right. some kind of buck doe relationship. Right. Uh, they really can't find anybody who wants to shoot does. Interesting. Hmm. And they from a mule perspective, I <laughs> tend to err on the side of. You don't want to take out the baby makers if our numbers are already down. Right. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of concern when it comes to, um, well, let's face it. We all live on the east side of Texas. We're whitetail hunters. Yes, sir. Uh, you take that first person that goes over and sees a two-year-old mule deer. It's bigger than any whitetail he ever saw <laughs> in his backyard. Right. Right. Uh, right. You know, but it's just a baby. Right. Um, you know. So trying to get them to, to let them walk until they get to be six or seven years old is an educational process right. that we'll be going through for a while. As a matter of fact, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife, after they did that study I told you that talked about you know several hundred thousand dollars to find out, there were five counties identified 
where that was happening. And they decided that we're going to try an antler whip restriction uh, before ab- that animal. Absolutely. And we're going into the second year of that. Oh, that's right. Well, you know, the the antler restrictions have been a huge success, although, uh, you know, probably uh, not very welcomed in East Texas. But they, they, they've turned some of those counties around. Uh, so yeah. I'd be really curious to see how that does, you know, for the mule deer. I, I had forgotten that they did that. That's that, That's great. Well, there's another phrase that comes from that line of thought as a whitetail hunter. Uh, you hear the term coal bucks. You know, most of the time, that's an excuse for somebody to shoot a little one not feel too bad about it. <laughs> I want to go on record right now as there is no such thing as a coal, duck, coal buck in the mule deer world. Okay. If you leave them alone, they get large. Right, right, right. Excellent. And, and, and that, that's a good segue into my next question for you. Where in, what county, what counties, what area in general are, are you going to see the, the, the bigger mule deer, you know, the Trans-Pecos and the, or in the, the Panhandle? And, and, you know, if it's the Panhandle, is the, you know, the east side of Lubbock, Amarillo, or the, or, or the west side? I've got, to come, I've got my opinion just from what I've seen and drooled over, but uh, I, I'd be curious to get yours. I would have to say, hmm, well, you said you went to school at Tech. You ever yes, been sir. to Yoakum Dune State Wildlife Area? Yeah, that, that's exactly, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> They've pulled a 200-inch mule deer off of there every year for the last three years. Golly. Wow. As absolutely and that is amazing. not crop circle country. There, yep. there, in those, there's ranches up there that if you're not related to somebody, you're not going to get to hunt there. Sure. And there's 200-inch mule deer all over the place. Right. Wow. And, and I heard that they live out there in the sand hills, and, and they get they gorge themselves, and like you say, get, get to be 200-plus pounds on nothing but chili peppers, something of that nature. According to our biologist, it's winter wheat with a little bit of cotton mixed in. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Well, they like the cotton. That's how they get through the winter. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, now, you know, it's... The yeah. area obviously does not have the food to generate, you know, monster meal deer. Um, but there's enough food out there for them to be real healthy and, right. you know, proud of your trophies if you're hunting over by, you know, Fort Davis or Balmeray or right. those kind of places. Awesome. Excellent. Talk, talk to us a little bit about, you know, hy- hybrid animals. You know, it, it is, I, uh, I, I, I subscribe to a lot of the hunting, uh, you know, chat forums and whatnot here in Texas. And it is with, without a doubt, every year you get multiple, uh, multiple pictures of, okay, you know, Hey, this clearly looks like a mule deer, but it's got white tail antlers, you know, or I don't know. It's got the facial characteristics of a of a white tail, but it's got you know the forks like a mule deer. You know what? How many hybrids are there really out there? And in, in 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 your opinion, and from what you've heard, is there a real way to be able to distinguish? Hey, yeah, that's a hybrid animal. You've got to um, identify a window of time. Is that window of time eighteen thirty? or 1980 okay. and if an animal is hybrid uh, will it survive we got to go back to what that biologist says if 
what it needs is is there, it'll survive. Right. But one of the neat things about being part of a chapter in Texas is the 1st of February, we meet with all the committees and all the biologists from all the different places. And for the last two years, we've had a graduate student out of Texas A&M Kingsville conducting DNA studies on mule deer. Interesting. And her findings are that no matter which mule deer she samples, it's going to have whitetail DNA in it. The only question is how much. Huh. Really? Well, let's go back to that window of time. You know, right. Like recorded before recorded history. Mule deer originally evolved, supposedly, as a cross between blacktail right. and whitetail. That's how we came up with mule deer in the first place. Right. That being said, they were hybrids from day one. Very true. I never knew that. Now, whenever we look at mule deer from a biological point of view, you know, they've already existed thousands of years the way they are. But a recent hybrid, one that, you know, mom was a whitetail, dad was a mule deer, whatever it was, that does occur. Is it frequent? I don't know. I don't stay out with night vision scopes and see what they're doing <laughs> in treating season. Right. But from what my understanding is, the only real way to tell is where the scent gland is located uh, on the back leg. Okay. Uh, have, it's got to be midway that. on that skin bone as opposed to up high or down low. Okay. okay. Is it a big issue? Nope. Right. It's going to taste the same way dredged in flour and help. And uh, milk. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Fascinating. Well, I had heard that about the gland. I just didn't know if uh, uh, if anything had changed. You know, well, the DNA studies from that young lady out of Texas A&M in Kingsville, I mean, everybody was just floored. Interesting. But if you rely on science, I mean, it's right there. Sure. No, absolutely. I, I got to look that up and I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll uh, we'll see if we can't find some of her work and. Uh, and then and post it for everybody. Yeah, that'd be um, interesting. Uh, yeah, you, you have a little saying on your on your website saying ensuring the conservation of mule deer, blacktail deer, and their habitat. And you just mentioned blacktail deer. Uh, can mm -hmm. you speak a little bit about blacktail, like where where they are? And I'm curious to see if the mule deer was you know a hybrid between the two at the at the same time, like where that might have happened you know like what oh, where, where, what is their habitat like and where where are they pre predominantly they are, their habitat is the uh, pacific coast okay. northern california washington oregon um those big rainy mountains up there that's the only place that you will find it well oh. uh, alaska same thing okay whenever you look at one it looks pretty much in the face like a mule deer uh and It'll only be a three-point, just counting one side because I am west of the Trinity River. Um, <laughs> they don't get, you know, very large at all. Hmm. Um, their habitat issues have to do more. They, they are a dense forest animal as opposed to an animal of the wide open, you know, like our mule deer here in Texas are. Um and the chapters that are on uh, the Pacific Coast, uh, 
they will spend all their money on uh, blacktail conservation okay. things. The things that sets us up a little different than a lot of the conservation groups is when our fundraiser is over, the committee that actually raised the, the money get to sit down and pick out the projects that they want their money spent on. They got a real say-so in it. Interesting. So Interesting. if you're a chapter in Columbia, Oregon, uh, you know, you're going to do something close to the house. Sure. Our chapters here in Texas, um, they're going to do something in Trans-Pecos or the Panhandle. We are restricted uh, by charter that the only thing that we can spend the money we raise on is mule deer habitat improvement or wildlife conservation education programs. Right. That's all we do. No meals right. on wheels, no kid programs, no girl programs. I mean, we do kid programs and girl programs, but we can't spend the money that we raised for that. They have to generate their own enthusiasm, if you will. Right, right. Charlie, you know the 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 white-tailed deer. Uh, you know, if 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 anybody who's hunted in the in the uh, you know in the Panhandle, who's had the the privilege, I should call it, sitting over a, a wheat field, up there in you know in the you know the Caprock Canyon area, or you know near Lubbock or whatever it may be. You know, you obviously get a lot of white-tail, and you you get a lot of mule deer. You know, and the white-tails seem to be, uh, you know, a lot more uh, skittish, and they also seem to be a little bit more more dominant you know I, i've heard that that the whitetail are starting to you know make their way further south and west into traditional mule deer territory um and, and i've, I've kind of you know i've seen the pictures of these these whitetail in the davis mountains going my goodness they they look so out of place are are are, are the mule deer in some areas in texas moving into areas they've not traditionally been the panhandle hurt uh, remember, that's the only expanding herd. Okay. You're, I've got a friend with a ranch up by Childress, and okay. he hunted there. Now, this guy is in his 40s. Uh, when he was 12 years old, he shot the first buck that came by whenever his grandpa said he could hunt. <laughs> and they had, had the buck in the garage because it was a mule deer. Oh, and wow. The first time it had ever been in Childress. Okay, so we're going to go back to that was... 1960s, 1970s, long in there someplace. Mm -hmm. So that's when they got that far. Right now, you can draw a line from Childress down to about Del Rio, and everything west of that line is mule deer habitat. Um, I do hear stories about, you know, the five mule deer they saw in Jacksboro, but <laughs> I hadn't I've heard of that. that. <laughs> I've heard of that, too. <laughs> You know, chances are, I mean, they're a wild animal. They're going to go where they can get away uh, with. Um, doesn't take much to scare them. Um, and as far as whitetail encroaching on their habitat, that's probably a natural thing. I grew up in Graham. Um, and riding around at night, uh, if we saw one set of deer eyes, that was pretty amazing for the mm -hmm. mid-60s. Wow. And now there's deer all over the place. Oh, sure. Using all kinds of other things. Sure. Um, so they I just figured out how to get along with people better than right. mule deer have. Sure, sure. I grew up hunting in Throckmorton, uh, so okay. I am and living in Dallas. I uh, went through Graham many, many, many times. So outstanding. Only town in West Texas that hasn't changed in sixty years. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I miss it. I really do. You know, we would go up to Lubbock. We would take three eighty and. 
114. So we got to uh, uh, we 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 got to. In fact, that was that was one of the things we enjoyed so much. And we take 114 and seeing all the big wheat fields of the 46 Ranch, you know, and all that. And 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 literally, I'm sitting here driving, and asking my my girlfriend, uh, soon to be wife at the time. Hey, you know, look, look, watch the road while I look at all the mule deer and whitetail out in these wheat fields. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> What a what a ball! What a ball! So, so so Charlie, t- tell us how. Tell our listeners how how can we get involved? How can we help? You know, where are your chapters located in Texas? You know, what 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 exactly do you guys do? Things of that nature. We do the same thing in a banquet that everybody else does: drink a beer, win a gun. Pretty simple concept. <laughs> Love it. A lot of times there'll be uh, you know something to eat. <laughs> right. Uh, you can buy tickets online to various chapters, function, uh, at uh, mealdeer.org. Uh, that's also a great website. There's all kinds of information there. But one of the things is they talk about upcoming banquets. Um, we have chapters in Grapevine, Frisco, goodness, moving on down the road, Round Rock, Houston, San Antonio, Parker County here in Weatherford where I live. Um, and goodness, Fort Stockton, Abilene, Odessa, Amarillo, you'd have a hard time living in Texas and not being within 100 miles of a banquet. Oh, perfect. We run banquets 12 months out of the year. Uh, just whenever people want to get together and drink a beer and win a gun. I love it. I love so it. Uh, the Frisco chapter is one of the most difficult chapters. You ever tried to drive from Weatherford to Frisco? Oh, geez. <laughs> I, I've done it six or eight times. I've never gone the same way twice. <laughs> I believe it. You know, but Charlie, if the traffic gets much worse. want to get together. And if right. we don't have a chapter and you want to start one, you give me a call. We'll figure it out. Excellent. There are mule deer hunters everywhere. Um, and those that realize they're in trouble, I mean, we're Americans. All we got to do is hear if something's in trouble. We're going to pitch in. That's, yep. that's what this country's all about. Right. Um, that's why I have a chapter in Atlanta, Georgia. I have another one in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. That's exciting. Little Rock, Arkansas, Shreveport, Louisiana. Right. And, of right. course, when the guys are trying to sell tickets, everybody says, well, there's no mule deer around here. Well, there's not very many mule deer anyway. So right. So let's help as they can. No and doubt. again, those chapters get to uh, choose where their money is spent when it's over with. That's great. That that is, that is fantastic. And you know, one one of the things that I've always liked about organizations organizations such as the the Mule Deer Foundation is that you know, p- people need to realize that you know when you're yeah your your money is going to you know directly to help mule deer. Okay, but in the case of the Mule Deer Foundation, especially the work done in Texas. Uh, you know, building the guzzlers, it's helping the sheep. It's helping, I mean, it's helping songbirds. It's helping out everything. So, uh, you know, you, you really got to look at your donation as a, a much larger picture than uh, than just our, our, our treasured mule deer. Thank you very much. Excellent. Seems like most of the people I meet, though, just want to drink that beer and win a gun. Well, there's nothing wrong with that either. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> That's right. But if they come to the banquet, we give them a uh, membership to the organization, and in that is a subscription to the magazine, and the magazine is our pulpit. 
there's articles in there from biologists, from landowners, young people, old people. You know, six six times a year, you get to sit in your favorite reading spot and uh, hear the word. I love it. That's great. Is the website the best place for people to find it? Here, they want to uh, improve some habitat somewhere. Right, right. Would the would the website be the best place for people to to sign up? That's one way. Uh, you can just go straight to the website and sign up, or you can come to a banquet and you're going to be signed up. Okay. Great, great. And the website's uh, muledeer.org. Yep. Okay. Mule and, uh, deer is all important. Yeah. And I see that uh, you guys also have a podcast. We do. All right. Interesting. We do. Put, I'm gonna definitely put that in my uh, in my queue. Yeah. Okay. Sure. All right. We got anything else, uh, Richard? Well, no, I, I, I don't. Other than other than just Charlie, thank you, thank uh, you thank for you your 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 work and your dedication to, uh, you know, to to this cause, and uh, it is it is awesome. Uh, you know, I, I uh, all the hunting magazines and and uh, you know media that you see out there, it's all to the whitetail, 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 exotics, 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 and. Uh, I just every time there's something about a mule deer in there, it, I, I just my eyes are glued to it. So uh, and it's people like you that are, are are making that happen, you know, making you know, helping the mule deer out, and I I can't thank you enough. I got to tell you, there's a more than a million people like me. All you got to do is let them know they need to the help, and they fill up the banquet hall. Everybody's willing to help. If they just knew there was a problem. All right. Well, you you've got me excited to get out there. It'd be I I don't have a mule deer yet on my wall. Uh, Richard does, so I need yeah. to join that. Uh, I need to join that club uh, ASAP. So I think that's <laughs> next on my 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 bucket list. <laughs> of coming to one of my banquets. Once you sign up as a member, I'll tell you a place that you can actually go. Okay. Doesn't talk to anything. It's got to have a hunt license. Drive up there, get out of the truck. Perfect. Outstanding. Awesome. <laughs> Very yeah, don't shoot the other members that are up there, though. I, I would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, for coming on the Feed Bandit podcast tonight. Thanks for having me. If I can help in any other way, don't hesitate to call. All right. We'll do. Excellent. Thanks, Charlie. All right, folks, that was Charlie Stockstill, Regional Director of the Mule Deer Foundation. Uh, that was very interesting. Uh, you know, I mentioned there at the end that, you know, of course, you have your deer, uh, your mule deer hanging on your wall. Uh, yeah, I need to get one. Oh, they, they, are, they are just such a, again. Where did you get yours, by the way? I don't remember. I, I got mine in 2004 at a ranch on the road into Big Bend. Um, it was, I think, you know, like 10 miles from the Big Bend Gate. Okay. Uh, on the south side of the road, it was, um, I, I can't remember the name of the ranch. It was funny. It was one of the smaller ranches out there, which I think was it was about 10,000 acres. <laughs> so, uh, smaller ranches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but out there, you know, it, it's it's yeah. big country. There's not a lot of little a little ranchettes. But now the 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 tech the mule deer in general is just a really really cool, cool cool species. And one thing I I one question I wanted to ask him, um, and I kind of already know the answer, but I thought it would be good for all of our listeners is you know there are really two different subspecies of the mule deer. You have the desert muley, which is of course what we have here uh, here in Texas and Mexico. 
and then I think right at like the New Mexico line, um, it kind of as you start to get up into the mountains, that changes over to the Rocky Mountain mule deer, and the Rocky Mountain mule deer is going to be, I believe, a little bit bigger uh, of a of a of a mule deer. Uh, but it still has the same characteristics. Got the big ears. Okay, uh, they bounce. Okay, they actually hop. They don't run. Uh, which you know, if you've never seen a mule deer run, type it in YouTube. It's it, it's fascinating. You know, they, again, they don't run like a whitetail does. They 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 spring. They they hop, uh, which is which is real funny in itself. So, uh, the, the mule deer and I, I was very serious when I when I was praising him for for what he does. Um, they and I didn't want to say because I didn't want to make him angry, but. You know, the mule deer is really the forgotten big game animal species of, of Texas, and it drives me nuts. It has for many, many years. And, and you know, the, the hunting availability for him has not been, you know, like it is for the whitetail. I mean, just like he said, you know, everybody east sh- shoots whitetail. They're available in every county. You can probably shoot them in Dallas if you, you know, if if, uh, if if there was a season, which there actually used to be. But there is uh, one in uh, Tarrant. Yeah. No, I believe it. I believe it. But, you know, the, the, the mule deer, again, is, is just like the, the Texas bighorn is an absolute treasure. And it's one that we it's one that we all need to preserve. You know, if you are if you are a whitetail hunter, if you are a dove hunter, OK, you are a conservationist. All right. Whether you have a piece of property or not. And I and I would really highly encourage everybody. You know, I, I know, hey, man, I'm a money tree ain't blooming like it used to be after I bought my washer and dryer. My tree is bare. But uh you know, if if you've got some, you got some extra time, some extra money. I I would I would seriously consider giving it to the Mule Deer Foundation. You know, again, they're 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 helping preserve a a, a true Texas treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do definitely need to get one of them on my wall. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, and it, it's funny, you know, I I I was legitimately asking him, you know, okay, where in your opinion, where's the bigger deer, you know, and I and I knew it was in the Panhandle, but and I guess I kind of knew why. But he's right, you know all the all the crop circles out there, you know the peanuts and the oh, the winter wheat and the cotton, you know. My God, it's like a it's like a regular buffet. Uh, I I remember a couple of times hunting up there in Lubbock with Dad. Uh, we just we literally were in his his truck and we just backed into a corner of a wheat field, you know, kind of you know um, uh, upwind or no downwind. Yes, downwind. Excuse me. Wow, uh, downwind. So obviously they couldn't smell us, and we just watched. Whitetail after whitetail after mule deer come out in these wheat fields and just pound this winter wheat. Well, there was a there was a cotton field adjacent to it, and the the, the cotton the uh, head said uh, the cotton was was ready to be harvested. It's actually kind of funny because it I think it already should have been harvested for some reason it wasn't. And we just watched those mule deer just sit there and pound this cotton. And we so this was. This was a long time ago. This was you know two thousand one something of that nature, and that's when we we didn't know a lot about cotton seed. Okay, and of course, how big it is, and look at it now, you know. And and, and Charlie's right that that's why the mule deer gets so ginormous out there because they eat the cottonseed, and we've all seen what cottonseed does to deer, you know, the whitetail. So you can imagine what it does the mule deer. So very interesting. Um, no, very very cool. Oh, by the way, uh, I looked it up um, here. The uh, in Dallas County, uh, the for Girl. alligator, the bag limit is one per person per year. Uh, that you know that enough. that is frustrating and, <laughs> because you know I leave work and, I get my swamp duds and I want to go kill me three or four gators right. Mm-hmm. But there is a white-tailed deer season in Dallas County, or uh, really? 
Yep, it says bag limit four deer, no more than two bucks, and no more than two antlerless, all seasons combined. All right. Well, that, and of course, there's MLD uh, and all that. But right, you know, I might do that for my little house here in North Dallas. <laughs> my high, high fence, my uh, oh, oh, high fence. Oh boy, I don't want right. to say that too loud. High fence, my what point three seven acres, something like that. Ah, my my next door neighbor has a high fence. Yeah, it's, it's it's solid wood, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you say you say razor wire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know it's funny since we're on the we're on the topic. Um, you know that there is rumor of a herd of uh, herd of axis on the Trinity River. Oh, I've, I've seen pictures of it. Some guy a couple years ago was driving down forty five early in the morning. And he took, of course, he's he's some some you know some fella who probably doesn't know a lot about. Well, clearly he didn't know a lot about deer, and he said something. I think the the post into the the paper was something like, "Look at all these fawns," and of course they're they're, they're at their gigantic axis deer. Uh, just just bizarre. That's it's pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. But all right. uh, no no mule deer in the in the in the city limits. You know, again, something else I wanted to ask him. You know, talking about you know creep uh, creep of of white tail. Obviously, the white tailer. Or like I say, are, are making their way in the Transpecos and they're finding those forbs, okay, and and they're they're really survivors, you know. Well, but with the mule deer being so you know kind of finicky and if finicky, if you will, you know, they would reach a certain point where not only would the habitat be insufficient for them, again, they like those wide open areas, uh, but also the the food would be insufficient for them, you know. And um, I I think that they are browsers just like whitetail. Uh, but but I bet you that would be a real problem. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. I, it's just fascinating. I that 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 is the stuff that that makes me have to take Tylenol PM at night because I can't stop <laughs> thinking about it. And that little study he was talking about about mm-hmm. whether whether tagging them all that that is fantastic stuff. I'm actually a little surprised they did. He didn't mention the elk too. Mm-hmm. You know the the elk used to be native to to Texas. I believe we had the Roosevelt elk and of course we we wiped them all out and that's another story for another podcast but uh, uh they've come back now you know as far as a lot of them and transplant they're all rocky mountain elk um you know and some are coming in naturally from uh new mexico which that i made that trip back to this past summer that's a hell of a walk um or they've actually been brought in here and put back in kind of the mountainous areas where they used to be uh, and I'd be curious to see how they fit into the picture because I mean they're they're huge. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely compete with the the, the Barbary sheep, aka the Audad, the uh, Bighorns, and the Mule Deer. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe uh, maybe some will eventually find their way onto Rancho Bandito. And... Oh God, that would be their last <laughs> stop. I mean, do not pass go. You will not collect two hundred dollars. If I see, if I see an elk, he, he as long as it doesn't have too much jewelry in its ear, that that's a big controversial thing. It's like my 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 breeder bull elk that cost me thirty five thousand dollars got out of my high fence. Uh, uh, that belongs to me, and the the courts have said, well, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So anyway. That's a topic for another day. Maybe a hunting oh. controversy episode or something. I don't know. I'd, I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah, what we'll have, we'll have a what would you do? Right. If an Elon bull shows up at your feeder and he's got dangling, he looks like Mr. T out of his ears, would you shoot him? 
Most people are like, oh, hell yeah, I would. And I just ripped <laughs> them ears out. And I ain't going to put that thing on the wall for a couple of years. <laughs> uh, but yeah. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, but that that was really cool. I, I that, uh, I've, I've really want, I've always wanted to talk to him. And again, kudos to you and to the whole foundation and all the members that, that hopefully are listening. Um, so cool. Uh, agreed agreed yeah thanks again charlie for stopping by and giving us some uh some interesting mule deer discussion i really really appreciate it uh i think that's all we got tonight unless you got one last thing uh, you know i will say support your local feed store and support your local mule deer there you go there right. you go go to muledeer.org and find one of those uh dinners and yep. get yourself a beer and a gun yeah, and slow While down. While helping the uh, slow, mule deer. Yeah, slow down. I think what Charlie was saying, and he's well, he's right. They'll just sit there. Come on, dude, wake up. Why are you in the middle of the road? So yeah, slow down. Don't uh, don't 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 hit them all. It's not good. All right, corn bandit. <sighs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for a good episode tonight. I'm Absolutely. Sure it's fun. Had fun listening to it, and uh, y'all stay tuned. Uh, next episode, next couple episodes are gonna be fun. So. Uh, Stay tuned, and we'll see you on the flip side. Support your local feed store. Thanks for listening to the Feed Bandit Podcast. Just a reminder to text the word BANDIT to 345-345. And when you do, you'll join our email list, where we'll send killer deals on innovative hunting products and services, along with entertaining tips and tricks, straight to your inbox. You don't want to miss out. So again, text the word BANDIT to 345-345, and we look forward to seeing you on the hunt. Until next time, have a good one, and remember to support your local feed store.